My name is Ed Ryan. I am the editor of the Podcast Business Journal, and this is the PBJ Spotlight, where we interview a podcast host, dig deep into their show, and shine a light on how they've become successful so we can help other podcasters also become successful. If you'd like to be considered for the PBJ Spotlight, send your show link and a short description of your program to Ed Ryan, the editor at gmail.com. That's Ed Ryan, the editor at gmail.com. In the PBJ Spotlight on this episode, who are these podcasts? It's a show hosted by Carl. He'd rather we did not use his last name because, well, his show is basically all about criticizing other podcasts. And as you'll learn from our interview, that turned ugly for him once. In this quick clip, Carl takes aim at former Howard Stern sidekick, Stuttering John. That was, that was a great like, moment, though. He goes, I don't know why Joe Rogan wouldn't have me on his show. Have you seen the guests that Joe Rogan has on his show? They're like celebrities. You're Stuttering John. You're a joke. As of January 2020, Carl has recorded 187 episodes and has about 260 paying Patreon followers. He started the show four years ago. Here's our interview with Carl from Who Are These Podcasts? And the first question, Carl, is who is Carl? Hey, Ed, thanks so much for having me on the show. So I am a musician, and I was in a lot of comedy joke bands over the years, and I'm a huge, passionate fan of talk radio. I got to go on a lot of talk shows being a musician, so I got to see the inner workings Huge fan of Opie and Anthony and Don and Mike and Howard Stern growing up, sports talk, overnight radio. And so took all of uh, that experience and built it into the podcast, Who Are These Podcasts? So when and why did you start this podcast called Who Are These Podcasts? And then we'll get into exactly what it's about. When and why did you decide to, to launch it? We started it four years ago, and it wasn't... My idea to start a podcast, it was my friend Kevin's. He wanted to start one. I had the idea for the format. So then we decided, well, let's just see what happens. We started recording some shows that we never released just to see if they were going to be any good or not. We started getting on a weekly schedule. Eventually, we put one together. And I said, oh, this isn't that bad. Maybe we should um, start uploading these and, and putting it out. And really, Kevin was doing all of the legwork. He built the website. He figured out the... RSS. He did everything that we needed to do to get it up in all the different channels. And I was just kind of along for the ride. So that's how it, that's how it started. So tell us about your setup. When you, uh, when you do the show, what, what do you have in front of you equipment wise? And who do you use to host all the details to get the show out? Sure. I have a blue Yeti that I use. It's just uh, directly into the USB. I'm using a loop back in order to make sure that I'm pulling in all the different channels because when I'm recording, I have a soundboard that I play all my audio clips off of. I'm typically on Discord, bringing somebody in through that. I'll bring someone in through Skype. Sometimes I'll have someone live with me in the studio. There's a lot of different sources. I might go right to YouTube and start playing some things. So I want to make sure that everything is coming down and being recorded. So I use Loopback for that. I don't have a mixing board. Everything is on the fly. And then it's a lot of post-production, the way that we uh, record the show and you know, sometimes it's a little hit or miss, and I'm still learning as I go. So how did you go and come up with the concept? Tell us about what the show's about. We do a review show, which is really a roast-style podcast where we pull in clips. It's based on a Jocktober segment that Opie and Anthony used to do where they would pick on other morning shows. 
and they'd pull specific clips out and just kind of riff on whatever they were doing that was ridiculous. So I've done the Mike O'Mara show. I've done Opie Radio quite a bit. We just did Hey Todd, the Todd Pettengill podcast that he's doing. And the thing that I've discovered is that these ex-radio jocks are really bad at podcasting. They don't understand how to record them. And I think that's one of the things. When, when I pulled in the Todd Pettengill show into my software, and I could just see that the waveforms were all over the place, he would do a phone scam, which is his prank call segment, which was probably 10 dBs lower than when he's just talking with an audio bed behind him. And it's very difficult to listen to a show where they've done no compression, no normalizing. It's like all over the place as far as the levels go. And we had Eric Nagel on, who was a longtime producer of the Opie and Anthony show. And Eric Nagel said, yeah, it, it's amazing. These radio guys don't know anything about actually recording or any of the behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on in order to put a show out that sounds decent. So they think that that's all the easy stuff. Like, oh, I'm the personality. I can, I can do this. And then they get on and put out a pretty awful product in a lot of cases. Well, you know, it's funny you say that about radio because I was turned on to your show from a radio host who loves your show. You have any idea who it is? Oh, I, I don't. It's uh, Drew Lane who, from the Drew and Mike show. He does. It's a podcast now. He's a former radio guy with a very successful uh, podcast, the Drew and uh, Mike podcast. Uh, Mike is no longer alive, but he still calls it that. So Drew turned me on to your show. I listened to the Todd uh, show that you did, and uh, but his show is very successful, and he loves your show. And I think you're right about that. Uh, just because you do a radio show doesn't mean that you can do a successful podcast, and there are a lot of bad ones out there but his is is excellent they really i think if you listen to that one you'll see the difference in somebody that understands uh the medium compared to some that just think that they can easily transfer over that's awesome yeah well i appreciate that to drew thanks so much for uh spreading the word that's amazing so how do you choose which show you're going to uh review and criticize and talk about and do any of the shows wind up being positive okay uh both great questions how we choose them is people send in suggestions. Now, in the beginning, it was more of uh, looking through iTunes and kind of picking out something that looked interesting. And I'd give things a listen for a little while and say, okay, I think I can have an angle on this and, and pick it. Now I have a document where I put in all of the suggestions that come in. And the document is about 80 pages of suggestions. And I, I just continue to build on that. And people will make a case for specific podcasts ones I've never heard of that sound interesting. I'm like, all right, that sounds cool. I'll check that out, and then we'll end up reviewing it. Or a lot of times, if it's a more popular podcast, like a Dak Shepard or something like that, I'll say, yeah, we should definitely review this because everyone's listening to it, so it makes sense that we'd put a show out, even just from an SEO perspective. It makes sense that we would want, when someone's Googling Dak Shepard's podcast, you'd want who are these podcasts showing up somewhere on that first page of Google. So a lot of times... What we choose to review is based on what's really popular. Um, there's a show called Call Her Daddy, which is a barstool sports show with these these two young women who just talk about sex, and it's the worst thing ever. It's the worst podcast. And every time I go onto iTunes, it's right at the very top. It's like the most listened to show. And I'm sure it's all 12-year-old boys, but still, when you see something that's really bad and gets a lot of people listening to it, that's where I'm definitely, I have to review those types of shows. Uh, as far as if I've ever liked ones, yes. And what's cool is that 
some of the shows that we've reviewed, we've said negative and positive things, and the hosts of those shows get it, and they appreciate the roast-style comedy that we do, and now they're part of our show. So, for example, Dick Masterson from The Dick Show was a show that I reviewed, and I didn't know all of the backstory. It's one of those shows where you have to know all these things that happened over the years to really get into it. I just listened to a random episode, but I could tell there was something to it. I'm like, oh, this is actually pretty funny. I like this. And now uh, Dick comes on my show. I go on his show a lot. We actually just started up a crossover show. We're doing bonus episodes for Patreon where it's uh, the Dick Show, Who Are These Podcasts crossover. Uh, Also, Kaya Orson from the official podcast comes on all the time, and he has a huge show, but he really appreciated what we did. So it's worked out well when we've had shows that were like, oh, this is interesting. I kind of like what they're doing. And then they end up coming on and being part of the show going forward. So, Carl, what is the best way to get the show out there, to get people to start listening to the show, to market the show? How did you do it, and what advice do you have for other podcasters to get their show out? It's almost impossible. Nobody wants to listen to yet another podcast, so you have to have some type of angle. One of the things that I rail on quite a bit when I'm talking about people's podcasts is there's a lot of open micers who think they can just hang out with their friends and shoot the shit and that that's going to be interesting content that people are going to want to listen to. You have to create a quality product. And I think the way to do that is to have some type of format, something that's unique about your show. I think one of the reasons why our show is caught on is not because I'm all that compelling, but because the format of the show lends itself to a very entertaining listen you are immediately, no matter which episode you pick, you immediately understand what we're doing and why we're doing it and how it's all working. You don't have to have listened to 80 hours to understand why episode 118 is interesting. So that's part of it is to have something that anybody who stumbles upon it in a one-off might find it compelling and interesting. I find that a lot of these podcasts, you start to review them and they already have their own vernacular and they're using acronyms or they're, they're talking about these references that you don't know what they are. And it, it doesn't invite new listeners when you do that. It makes it very difficult for people to get into your show. So that's been one of the things that we found success with is no matter which episode you listen to, you're like, okay, I get this. And then I see a ton of people who discover us and then go back and check out the back catalog because it doesn't matter what order you listen to the stuff in. It all makes sense. But The way that we caught on was very fortunate. Opie and Anthony had a falling out, and Opie does his show, and Anthony does his show, and they hate each other now. We did a review of Opie's, at the time, new podcast, Opie Radio, and we did a review just like we always do and and put it out just like we always do, and somebody picked up on it, created a YouTube video, put it out on YouTube, and it was... Pretty much overnight, the thing got 100,000 views, and everybody started to discover who are these podcasts from that Opie review. And I listened to Opie and Anthony for years, so it was one that I knew a lot about, and I had a lot to say on that one. Other podcasts I don't know anything about, and so I say things that are dumb and people make fun of me. But this one I actually knew what I was talking about, so it was a good episode. People enjoyed it. And because of that, Anthony Cumia picked up on the fact that we reviewed his show invited me to come down to New York and be a guest on his show. And so that really helped 
open us up and bring in a lot of uh, new listeners and subscribers to come into the show. And how are you interacting with your with your listeners and your subscribers? Um, before we get to the Patreon account, uh, how how do you help ask them to help you get the word out about the show? So you're always growing uh, the numbers there. I don't really ask people to help us get the word out. I make it a point to respond to every single email that comes in, uh, every DM that comes in. And I just appreciate people for listening and caring. It's one thing I learned early on, and I actually learned this from Dick Masterson, is he's grown a huge fan base of very loyal listeners because he's very much involved in that community. So when people are talking about him in the subreddit, he'll pop in there and respond to it. And we have a Discord server, we have the subreddit, we have Twitter, Facebook. I'm always on these platforms and responding when I think it's appropriate um, and acknowledging when people come in and they they offer a suggestion or they want to donate to the show or something like that, Um, making sure that I'm recognizing that because it's amazing that people actually want to participate. You know, I, I remember when we started this podcast and it was pretty much for Kevin, myself and a few of our friends to listen to, it it was not getting out there very much. So I really appreciate anyone who takes the time to listen to the podcast. There's 700,000 options out there. Uh, So I just make sure to um, communicate with everybody, appreciate that they're listening and uh, genuinely care that they're finding this entertaining. I take their suggestions you know, a lot of people will give me grief because it's kind of what I've set up. I'm I'm constantly uh, making fun of people, going after people for things. So, of course, I'm going to be a target quite a bit. We I'm very proud of the fact that we have over 600 one-star reviews on iTunes. We're one of the worst-reviewed podcasts of all time, and it's because we go out there and we ruffle some feathers and get people upset. So that's one of the ways that we've spread the word is just by as the listeners have built up, like the the Reddit, I didn't create that, our Discord, I didn't create that. As they kind of build these places, I just make sure that I'm participating and uh, just being a part of that. How were your downloads every episode? Well, they they continue to grow. Um, It's been been awesome because we've never really had uh, a downward turn. As the Opie thing got picked up, and then a couple months later, I was on Anthony, and then I started going on the Dick Show pretty regularly and the official podcast. Uh, it just continues to grow and grow and grow. And one of the things that I've made a point to do is when there's an opportunity to go on someone else's show, regardless of the size of it, I've been trying to do that. Um, to just to get on, I know that for me, having people who have bigger shows come on my show is a big deal. And so I, I don't mind doing that. It was something that I was trying not to do at first. And now I'm like, you know what? If someone asked me to be on their show, it's the least I could do is to spend a half an hour or an hour with them and shoot the shit. So what kind of numbers are you getting every episode? We're doing about 10,000 downloads an episode at nice. this point. Nice, nice. So you have, a pa- yeah. you have a Patreon account. Last time I checked, you had uh, two, like 260-ish uh, folks that support you with, uh, with money. You're Looks like you're making almost 1300 bucks a month on this. Are you making a living from the podcast yet? I am not. And it's definitely a hobby of mine. Um, I still play music and play regularly in bands. I also am a partner at a marketing agency. So I keep very busy. I'm not looking for the podcast to be my, uh, 
my source of income. How much time do you put in on the show each week? So that is ridiculous. I put so I have to listen. It's so it's so much time. I have to listen to a podcast and pull clips and make notes and then go on and review the podcast. And then the next day I go in and do all the post-production work and editing and uploading. So I am spending most of my weekend every weekend on the podcast, which is very annoying for my wife. And then we've added even more work into it because now we're not just reviewing one podcast. We're typically reviewing a podcast plus checking in on Opie or Stuttering John or there's this guy, Patrick Michael, who puts out like 20 podcasts who I find fascinating. So we've been uh, adding his show into the mix quite a bit. We've added new segments like Cringe of the Week. People send me in segments from other podcasts that they find cringeworthy. So it just continues to get more and more homework and work that goes into the show. And have you ever had somebody uh, uh, get really angry with you about your review? Oh, yes, I have, Ed. Yes, I have. <laughs> All right. So this is going back a few years. We reviewed a podcast called The Vanished. And this is a, a show that's hosted by a woman named Marissa Jones. You might know who she is. She's pretty big in, uh, in the podcasting world. So we did a review like we always do, where we pulled clips from the show and we made jokes about it. I, well, first... She went to iTunes and asked them to take the show down for copyright infringement. iTunes denied the request. So then she went to Libsyn, our syndication company, and requested that they take it down. And they said, well, you have to file a formal request and you have to go through these steps. And Libsyn was really cool. They even called me up and said, just so you know, there's a podcaster trying to take you guys down. We're not going to do it unless... They actually have a case. We don't think they do. There is a fair use clause under the Copyright Act, which allows anyone who's reviewing something to pull segments of it. So if you were doing a, a movie review or a book review, you could pull out segments of it for your review and you don't need to be the copyright owner for that. So Marissa then went well, she reached out to me a few times and, and threatened lawsuits and things. And basically, I said, look, we're well within our rights here. You know, it's not a big deal, honestly. People, way more people hear your show than my show. I wouldn't worry about it. Well, she was very worried about it. She decided to mobilize all of her listeners and went on Twitter and her Facebook group and put together a very damning YouTube video that took things out of context and made it seem like we were the worst people on earth. Meanwhile, she's dealing with kidnappers and people who are actually criminals on her show, but decides that I'm the worst person on earth, mobilizes all of her listeners to try to get me fired from my job and essentially ruin my life, which is kind of a, an act of violence in my opinion. Not a huge fan of that. So what happened was all of a sudden, and I was, I was flying out somewhere, so this all occurred when I was in the air and didn't have access to the internet, but they had tens of thousands of people tweet at my company, go on LinkedIn, reach out to anyone who worked there, my business partners, 
and tell them that I should be let go from the job and I'm the worst person and all these things. Which is why, you know, you asked me about my last name and I try not to give that out all that much because I don't know when the next job lynch mob is going to come for me. But fortunately, uh, I am a partner at the company or else I definitely would have been fired and it definitely would have ruined my life. But what I decided to do was I called a truce. I said, all right, this is now infringing on my real life, which is not what I'm trying to do here. I took the episode down. Uh, So it was episode number 88, which was when we reviewed The Vanished. And I said, all right, well, we will t- we'll take this down, Marissa. You win. You got the job winch mob after me. And my business partner wasn't happy about it. So it's like, that's fine. Uh, so that, sh- that show still is not on our feed to this day uh, because of that, that occurring. Did all of that help your show grow? It uh, essentially did. We had, before we took that down, we had thousands and thousands of downloads of that episode. Now, people were hate listening to it. It was all her fans listening to it. But obviously, as, as you probably know, there's no such thing as bad publicity. And if you get a lot of new listeners, there's going to be some percentage of those people who go, well, actually, I kind of like what these people are up to. And so that definitely helped springboard us to some degree. And what's worked out well in hindsight, which I wasn't planned at all, is that now this episode 88 to people who have discovered our show since then is this thing that you can't get. And it's, wow, I wonder what happened on this show that was so bad. So now we've actually put that behind the paywall. If you sign up for our Patreon, you get a link to episode 88 and you can listen to it. So it's actually helped me from a marketing standpoint a little bit. Back to the Patreon for a second. Do you feel under pressure to have a, a Patreon following of uh, you know 260-ish folks that you have to provide uh, something to them because they're paying you for extra content uh, or, or whatever you're giving them if it's uh, you know uh, 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 gear or things like that? Do you feel pressure that you always have to have uh, to come up with something to keep them satisfied so you don't you lose them as fans or lose their revenue? One hundred percent. And I was reluctant to start a Patreon. I probably started it a year too late. But I, like I said, I put a lot of work into the podcast. Each episode takes hours and hours of my time. I'm also coordinating guest co-hosts every week and scheduling. And I, I, I have a guest host that comes on a lot uh, who lives in uh, the Midwest. I have one from L.A., one in Germany, who's also in Turkey from time to time. So coordinating schedules, and it's a lot of work. So when I did the Patreon, I said, okay, I'm going to put out at least one bonus episode every single month. And so far we've done that. There's three bonus episodes that I have to kind of work in. I don't want to take away from the weekly show, so I try to work that into the week at some point. And what I've been doing is Patreon will pull the monthly money out at the beginning of the month. So I make sure to get the bonus episode out during that week or the week before. So people remember like, oh, yeah, that's right. I got something for this. I'll continue to donate my 10 bucks a month. But, yeah, there's a lot of pressure, and I do guarantee that there will be a bonus episode every single month. The nice part about it, the thing that, I, that I've been pleasantly surprised by, because the regular podcast is a lot of work and segments and production, I relax a lot more on the Patreon episodes. I know that they're only being listened to by people who really enjoy the show. I don't have to win them over. And so it's more of a relaxing kind of, you know, it's still the same format. We still go through and we review shows, but I don't make it such a point that it has to be 
very much segmented the way that the regular podcast is. It's just more laid back and relaxed. Well, you've been doing this for four years now, and you're consistent, and you're putting shows out there, and you're making some money at it. What advice do you have for anybody that's thinking about it, that's just getting started, uh, that you know maybe at episode number seven, where we know they all turn back and say nobody's listening to uh, to succeed at it? What, what do they What do they need to do in your opinion? I know that this is a cliche, but perseverance is very important. You have to do it because you enjoy doing it, not because you're trying to get a lot of listeners. If we had podcasted hoping to get thousands of listeners, I definitely would have quit before that happened. So hopefully if you're podcasting, you're doing it for the right reasons because you enjoy doing it. And if people listen, that's more of a bonus than anything else. But, and this is going to sound extremely pompous and I'm fine with that. I would, this is my advice. Listen to who are these podcasts. I can't tell you how many people have told me legitimately that listening to my show has made them a better podcaster. And it's a lot of people who we've made fun of, but also just podcasters who become fans of the show. We give a lot of do's and don'ts as we critique other podcasts. A lot of things just like people talking over each other. You know, things that if you came from radio, you would know like the back of your hand, there's like very simple rules about how to do a show and how to broadcast that podcasters just don't know. They, they've never learned these things. And we try to bring it back to, here's how you do a professional show. Here's the prep work that should go into it. Here's what not to do. It's a lot of what not to do from the examples that we play. But uh, definitely, I think we do a really good job of explaining how to put together a quality podcast. Even if we miss the mark from time to time, uh, I, I think that we do a good job of explaining what people are doing wrong. You know, it's so funny. Uh, there is an Atlanta uh, radio host that just uh, lost his job. Uh, station got sold, changed format, whatever the reason was. And he decided he was going to – there's three now in Atlanta that are launching podcasts, one already out there, two that are starting right up. The first thing that he said in his kind of trailer episode was that he needed four to 5,000 paid subscribers to make the show work. That was the first thing he said. And I said to myself, <laughs> no way that show is ever going to work because people are not going to pay for something, especially when you beg right at the beginning. Right. And I find that people do not have any problem supporting a show, even if it's very successful. Uh, Dick Show, uh, The Dick Show, or uh, even like a show like Come Town, where these guys are making tons of money and they're not asking for it. They, they literally almost never mention their Patreon. I know that Dick Masterson throws it out at the very end of his show. Come Town never talks about it. You're better off not asking for money putting out a quality product that people like, and then they want to support you. They're, you don't have to ask them over and over again. They're like, oh, I really enjoy what these people are doing. They go on Patreon, they see that they're making six figures just from doing their show, and they're like, that's fine. I want to support them. I also want to contribute to this thing. So that would be my advice. When we started the Patreon, it was, you know, like I said, I was a little bit reluctant to do it. But, uh, but now that we're doing it, I, I think it's, um, you know, it, it's only grown, and I think it will continue to. Right. And once you have a Patreon, you really got to work it. You got to, I mean, you got to work hard to, to maintain the page, maintain the information, because like we were talking about before, there is a little bit of pressure to make sure those people feel like they're getting something, even though it's, you know, may only be $5. It's still $5 they could be spending somewhere else. So Carl, where can people find you, get in touch with you, listen to the show, contact you, suggest their show for you to listen to, give us all the info. 
All right. I always say at the beginning of the show, just go to whoarethese.com. On our website, if you go to the contact and about pages, you'll find links to everything that we do. You'll be able to find our email. There's a form on there that you can get in touch with us directly. Facebook, Twitter, the Discord server, Patreon. The one thing that we don't have is an Instagram page. But one of the podcasts that we made fun of last year, or two years ago now, I guess, uh, got very butthurt about what we said about them. And they started an Instagram page for us. So if you go on Instagram, you will find who are these podcasts on there. I do not control that. I have nothing to do with it. So don't follow that thinking that you're following uh, our show. Well, Carl, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it very much. Thanks for having me, Ed.